We've been taking a we've been taking a look at this spiritual warfare, and we've been using Ephesians six ten through twelve as uh, as our three verses that are guiding our thinking. Because as we learn what Scripture says about the reality, the biblical truth of spiritual uh, things, and especially spiritual warfare that is going on, we we must be guided by something, or we'll be sucked into almost anything, right? And so therein lies the problem of just going on the internet and Googling anything. Boy, you have to be really careful with that. Really careful. But Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, that is on your handout, last week we did something uh, at Corinthians' request, and I think it was so good that I want to do it again. Um, and that is, I just want to read those three verses out loud together, kind of like we do at church on Sundays out of, out of the song. So on your handout, let's just start with Ephesians 6, and we'll read those three verses. Ready? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's so important that we start with just those three verses as guiding our thinking because it tells us, of course, as we've been looking at this over the last few weeks, that it's really it's the Lord and His mighty power that gets us through the spiritual warfare and the battles that we're going to be up against, spiritually speaking, and we can't do it on our own. Okay, so to the extent that we try to fight these battles on our own, we're doomed. Well, you probably have mentioned this earlier, but we weren't here so I don't know. When you pray for the armor of God, what's the proper way to do that? I mean, I've always read that there's the armor, that there's the armor of God, and you're to, you're to put the armor of God on. Yes. And that's for his sake, too. Do you have to pray the armor of God piece by piece, or how do you pray that so that? You well, we're going to go into that. In, we're going to go into that in great detail in a couple of weeks. But let's but let's answer that question just generally. So let's let's let's. Let's attempt that from like 10,000 feet right now because we're going to take it right down to the ground level because this entire study really is about knowing how to do that because we know that there are going to be spiritual battles in our life because we're in the world and it's all around us all the time. And so what we need to do is if you will read the entirety of, of Ephesians 6, 10 and on, it talks about praying in the spirit first and foremost. And so one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to really unpack praying in the Spirit because we pray regularly, don't we? And most of us have a real difficult time to understand what is praying in the Spirit versus not praying in the Spirit, by the way. What, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I even do that? But we're first told to pray in the Spirit for these things, for putting on the spiritual armor. But we need to know what the armor is. And as we understand what the armor is, why God designed it, it they, are, they are tools and weapons. And they are in the spiritual realms, which is a challenge for us. And we said over the last couple of weeks, you know, how many of us got up first thing this morning or yesterday and prayed in the spirit to put on the full armor of God for the battles that, we're going to be, that we were going to be in today? Well, most of us don't. We just don't, right? Because what happens is, 
is we, first of all, we struggle with even praying in the Spirit because we don't, we're not sure what that means or how to do it. And we're going to know how to do that when we're done with this. Okay? That is critically important because, you see, we say that we are fighting from victory in all the spiritual battles in our life because we, we know that, biblically speaking, you know, this is, not, this is for real. This, this is not a game. And so most of the issues, the vast majority of the issues that we deal with, that difficult situation, the things that we struggle with, the things that, we're, that we get upset about or angry about, have a root in or the basis of them are spiritual. And yet we struggle through that because we try to deal with them in the physical. I can, I, I got it. Anybody? I got it. And we do that regularly, okay, and, and whether or not that is a, a relational problem that we're having or whether that is a financial problem we're having or, you know, whether you just think that your parents don't have a clue what they're talking about. Oh, no, I said that for your family. <laughs> um, but, the, but the point is that, that we approach things from a physical point of view first until it gets so difficult that then we ask God in. Right? Don't we? That's normal for us as people. When what God has told us to do is to put on the full armor in advance. So, so we can't go through the full answer to that, Mike, right now, because that is going to, we're going to take two full Wednesday nights to deal with that one issue. Our last Wednesday night. And we are going to dive all the way in, because we must know what praying in the Spirit is. Because we're commanded to pray in the spirit to deal with the spiritual warfare that is going to be that is going we are going to be engaged in today because it is around us all day every day we must know because that's where the joy will come from because all of a sudden you're going to realize what victory really means because you can claim it by praying in the spirit to be, to to have all of the weaponry that God has already provided us provided us because he's given us everything we need for life and for righteousness. Everything we all we need, he's already given us. Our issue is that we don't know how to put it on, appropriate it, or pray for it. And so that really, in essence, is what this study is about. Knowing how to do that. It, it will change your life. It will be a radical change in your life because things that used to upset you are you're gonna you will be surprised what happens when you pray in the Spirit to put on that full armor of God for the protection that you need against the yahoos that are out there, okay, the primary one that we're going to be talking about tonight that wants to devour you, that wants to ruin your life. So it's important that we know that. We've been taking a look at these biblical truths as, we, as, a, as I've been calling them in this study, and, and um, um, I, I listed the first four. There are two more. Um, but but the, the first biblical truth is there is an invisible world and that's a challenge for us because we live in the physical, but there is an invisible world. We know that we're involved in an invisible war. It's not a video game. It's real. We know that our foe, that the enemy that is against us is very formidable and it's very personal. The enemy we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks not only wants to devour you individually, he wants to, he, he has a plan to upset God's plan for the church, 
What's the church? Who's the church? We are. We are. Individually and collectively. You're a marked person. You are marked by the evil ones. But there's nothing to be afraid of. We, we, can, we can approach this with, with no fear because the fourth biblical truth is we must know and respect our enemy but not fear him. There is no way a Christian should ever have any fear about any spiritual battle that you might be engaged in. Ever. Ever. Because even though you might not know what the outcome is, you can claim the victory before the battle starts. And that's, that's ultimately what we have to learn how to do, is how to claim that victory. Because you can have joy in the battle by knowing that the war is already won. Might you have to deal with these individual situations that come up? Yes, you might have to. Yes, you will have to. No question about it. But when you approach it, knowing that you've already won, it, 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 takes, it takes the sting out of it, doesn't it? The sting is out. But we need to know how to do that. So as we, as we allow these verses to really guide our thinking, it becomes important to understand that it's really God's power that we need to appropriate, not our own. So quit trying to do it on your own. Just stop. Effective immediately. That's a command. Okay. That's a command. Okay? Because that's what we're commanded. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. That's a command. The language is in a command form. Okay? So be strong in the Lord. It's not your gig. <laughs> it just isn't. You can't fight in your power. You won't win. You see, if you try to fight it in your own power and you get sucked into something that is a spiritual battle in your life because you've been trying to fight it in your own power, that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. In your power. Because you don't have the power. But you have access to it. How do you have access to God's power in your life? Pardon me? Through prayer and reading scripture. What is the theological or the doctrinal implication of the power? What what power is in you to deal with these things? Pardon me? The power of Christ. And you, you have resurrection power. The same power that that God used when he raised Jesus from that grave, we have that same power. Exactly, and that's what Ephesians 6 is talking about, how to pray in the Spirit to appropriate the full power, the full power, not some of it. You don't need to be filled up. It's already there. You don't need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up. If you have been justified, if you are saved, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are full. Our issue is appropriating the fullness of the power that's already there. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to just grab onto, and of course that's what this study is all about. We must learn how to do that. Radical life-changing things happen when you realize that the enemy who is behind all of these things and trying to crush your spirit and make you worthless for the sake of Christ. He can't even do it if you're in the spirit and if you're appropriating the power that God's already given us. The only people on the planet that have this power are those that have made the decision to put their faith in Christ. 
Now that's a heavy duty statement. And at the same time, there are people around us all the time that are not believers, and, and they're just crushed. And we see the evil around us all the time. Pick up the newspaper today. Read about it. Virtually everything in there comes from the root of evil. Because the people that are doing that are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They do not have the They aren't able to appropriate what God has given us. And yet God, in his sovereignty, wants to give it to them. It's free. But they don't want it. They don't want it. So we've been looking at Satan and we've been looking at, at things like the names of Satan and, and uh, tonight we're going to take a we're going to take a close look at the names of Satan because we need to understand what Satan's names are because names matter. Now last week we were taking a look at where Satan came from. What what's uh, just just real down and dirty? Where did where did Satan come from? What's what's his origin? He's a created angel. Of the highest order, yes. And what do you remember what kind of angel he was created to be? Cherub. And a cherub is is the throne. Is pardon me? Guards the throne. The cherub is and and this angel that, that Lucifer was created by God to be the most beautiful, most powerful created being ever. Think about this in terms of the enemy. I want you to think about it in terms of the enemy. The most beautiful, most powerful, most authoritative creation of God was Lucifer. Wow. Ezekiel talks about this cherub that was anointed to guard the glory of God. That was Satan's purpose. That was Lucifer's purpose. And for some period of time, I don't know how long, that's what he did. Until what happened? He got too big for his britches. That's the New Living Translation, I think. He got too big for his britches. What happened to Satan? This, this. I mean, Satan was created by God to be in the position, the highest position, and the closest. To God, and he is still close to God, by the way. But in the highest position, and this close to God, like this they are, and they were. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be God. And so then he sinned. And we. No, he was cast out. He was cast out because. And what was the what was the key thing that each one of us deals with in our own life? What was the key thing that got to Satan? Pride. Pride. And we looked at Isaiah 14 and we saw all the eyes. You don't have to turn there. But we saw all the eyes where, where Satan said, I will ascend to the heavens. And meaning that he wants to occupy the place of God. In place of God. He was so full of himself. He was so prideful. I, I love this because it makes us want to... I hope that what we do is we look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning... <laughs> when we're getting ready for the day, and we take a look at ourselves and we remind ourselves that a little bit of pride can turn into a whole lot of sin. And it can make our... If we are prideful, because there's good pride and bad pride, isn't there? But if we are selfishly prideful, as Satan was, that is the beginning of, of our downfall. It really is. And so... 
So what Satan did in Isaiah, he said that he would ascend to the heavens wanting to occupy the place of God and really be, he wanted recognition that was equal to God. He wanted to be equal to God. And so he said that he was going to raise his throne above the stars of God. He said that I will sit in throne. I will do this. I will do that. I will do the other. And so you can see that first person singular is prideful, and we would use the word narcissistic, meaning that it's all about me. And as soon as something is all about me, I have a real pride issue that I must deal with. And the power of those I wills of Satan caused his fall. So he fell. So we know who he is, right? And then the truth of the spiritual warfare that we deal with, it's rooted in what? Pride and sin. And that's what the enemy wants to exploit. I, I, I. <laughs> See, we're people. Most sin that we commit, which is nothing more, sin is just missing the mark. All sin is, is doing something that doesn't glorify God. That's what sin is. And so what we, what we tend to do is we tend to sin after we've thought about it. Most sin is not spontaneous. Most sin, look at Satan's primary sin was pride. That was the beginning of his fall. And it was, it was calculated and planned. And it was like, I'm going to do that. And it's almost like we give ourselves license. I'm going to do something that doesn't glorify God, but it's okay because I'm going to ask for forgiveness tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, come on, I've done that. You know? And so it's like, boy, you got to be really careful with that because it starts this big and it goes like that in a hurry, doesn't it? And so we even see that sin has devastating consequences. Now, none of us, I would venture to guess, aspire to be God. Are you sure? Not real, maybe not, maybe not, not consciously, but we do it subconsciously. Oh, it's a hard one. That's a hard one. Because I like to go back to the throne thing again. Because whose throne is it? So your life doesn't even belong to you. But do we get that? No. We don't get the fact that our life doesn't belong to us because it's very difficult. When we walk in the flesh, we tend to make decisions in the flesh. When this whole study is about the spirit... And being in spirit, being in step with the spirit, praying in the spirit. And you see, we struggle with that because we live in the flesh. And the more we are in the spirit, the more joy comes into our life. But we have to understand that there's a battleground out there. There is a battle for your spirit. Not for your flesh. Because that's not where we fight from. We fight the battles in the spirit. But we have a hard time recognizing, how does that work? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, we do, don't we? We struggle with trying to figure out how that works. So the thing is, is that we even look at, at what happened in the garden. What did Satan do in the garden? Deceived. Deceived. He, he deceived. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, Scott? There was deception. <laughs> 
There was deception in the garden. And what was the nature of the deception? He took God's truth and made it into a lie. He made Eve doubt. He made Eve doubt. But what did he... What, what was the real... What was he really trying to convey to her in the garden? That she could be like God. That she could be like God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was blind. She would have all his knowledge in her. That's attractive, isn't it? <laughs> Who's not attracted by that? You can personalize that right into your own life today. Nobody sitting in this room doesn't want, at some level, somehow, some way, want to be the God of your life. Forget everybody else's life. Not God, but just the God of your life. When the Bible is clear, you're not even that. You see, and that's comforting, frankly. Because whenever I try to be the God of my life, I screw it up. I mean, really, I do. Don't you? I think, I think it's pretty common. The more I try to be in control of my own life and make all my own decisions, do it in my strength and my power, it's kind of the worst it gets. So we know that, you see, pride in those I wills, I will do this, I, 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 get us in trouble. And that should kind of give us some pause because what's our real created purpose? Glorify God. Glorify God. Worship God. Glorify and honor God with every aspect of our life. But the problem is that we're tempted to be independent, in control. Some of us, the center of attention... Yeah, little eyes and not big eyes. But but and and in our and then in our flesh we desire to be fulfilled. Don't we want to be fulfilled? Don't we want to be happy? Don't we just want to be happy? Good and happy. Yeah. I, I hear that good and happy. We want to be good and happy. And I hear that from parents who are empty nesters and their children are getting married and they say, I just want them to be happy. Well, time out. I'm not so sure that that's a good thing to aspire to, is to be happy. Because God never said that our de- his desire for us is to be happy. We're going to look at that a little later. He doesn't say that happiness is bad, but that's not tr- that should not be our aspiration, is to just be happy. You don't guarantee happiness. But we focus on that, and that is one of the cruxes of the problem in terms of spiritual warfare. So being filled, getting our needs met, having it be about my agenda, what I want to do, my dreams, my goals. You see, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things unless they're out of balance with what God created us to be and to do. And that's what we need to focus on. So we really need to focus now on taking a look at the names of Satan because why do we need to understand the names of Satan? And we're, we're going to take ten tonight. And why is it important to understand that the Bible has different names for Satan? Why is, why is it important to understand what those names are and what they mean? To know our enemy. Biblical truth number four. We need to know our enemy but not fear him. Because he is formidable. And if we know his name, and what's behind the name, and what the name means, it will give us clear indication of his character and his tactics. So for the rest of the night, for the next hour, I want you to be thinking about the names that we're going to describe here, the scriptures that we're going to read that are associated with that name. 
the meaning behind the name and how that meaning relates to something that you've struggled through, either recently or even in the past. Because it's going to give you some clear indication as to who Satan is, how he operates. Because we understand that intellectually, that he's here to devour us, isn't he? Yeah, he's trying. But he, but he can't. <laughs> yeah. Because, you see, he's already lost, hasn't he? Yeah. But that doesn't mean he doesn't continue to attempt to devour you. He will try, and he is relentless. And so, in antiquity, meaning long time ago, Names really meant something. You see, we're not so used to that right now. So, because, okay, Diana, what does your name mean? Patrick. Huh? Yeah. It means love. Are you sure? Or are you just saying that? Okay. See, it's, it's really interesting because we have names, and some people are really into this. Um, I, me, not so much. But, but people are really into names. I, I remember when I was... When, uh, when Joel and I were over in Africa and we were working with our with our African brothers and and uh, and they they have names that are that are they're Christians. This is a Christian community. We were over in a missionary hospital, right? And and so these Kenyans um, uh, had these names like like Ezekiel, and <laughs> David, and, and you know they have biblical names. And and so after a while, I asked. Why do you guys have these English-sounding biblical names? Because that's not that's not Swahili, and and it was really interesting. So they said, well, what happens is we're given a new name when when we become Christians. But and I said, well, what's your real name? <laughs> you know? And they really struggled with the question. What do you mean? What's my? That is my real name. Okay. So what is your given name? When you were born, what was your name? And so we had our guys, some of our guys, write their names down. In fact, in, one, in, the, in the duplex that we built, um, we put a cabinet in a, in a bathroom, and I made the guys write their names, and they wrote them in, in um, Sharpie, and then we, we mounted the cabinet over the top of their names, so their names are permanently affixed behind the cabinet that's mounted to this concrete wall, but nonetheless, they're there. And the names are really important because they're given a surname because of their father, Okay, so they have a, a surname of their father, but then they have their names are long. I'm talking about there are there are like ten or twelve given names for each individual, and their name is based on what time of the year they were born, what time of the day they were born, the date they were born, whether it was nighttime or daytime, whether it was raining, if it was raining. Okay. If in the celebration they slaughtered an animal for the celebration, what kind of an animal was it that they slaughtered? And all of these things are added up. And so when you see the names of these guys, they all look very similar. Because if you had five guys that were all born at night, they all have a, a name that is the same. And if there, was a, if there was no celebration, the name for the animal that they slaughtered, because they were too poor to have an animal to slaughter... Okay. And it's very clear. Now you know when you see that person's name that when he was born, they were too poor to have an animal to slaughter to celebrate. And you know that in his name. Fascinating. So names mean different things in different cultures. And biblically, we need to understand that it's important because it's not something that we focus on. I don't have the slightest idea where my name comes from or what it means. 
And to be honest with you, I'm really not too concerned about it because my focus is going forward, not so much backwards. But in biblical times, it's incredibly important, and it was to them, and it needs to be to us, we need to understand. So we can start, before we start with the names of Satan, what about some common names like Adam? What do you suppose... What do you suppose the name Adam means? It, it means one of the one of the Hebrew meanings is to be made. The word the name Adam means to be made, and it also means a ruddy skin color. <laughs> to be made a ruddy skin color. <laughs> the name Adam. That's what it means. How was Adam made? I found that fascinating. I did a little research and I'm like, wow! He came from the dirt. God breathed life into him. And he came from the dirt and his name means to be made a ruddy skin color. The color of dirt. <laughs> That's interesting. Some of us are dirtier some of us, some of us are dirtier <laughs> than others, right? And so, and then I, I looked up uh, uh, Daniel. The word Daniel—that's a common—that's a common name today. I know of Daniel. And the word Daniel in Hebrew, what do you suppose that means? God is my judge. Is what the word Daniel means in Hebrew. And I looked up Judah. I know of Judah because uh, the Rhodes' uh, youngest son—they call him Jude, but his real name is Judah. Judah Rhodes. And uh, Judah means praised in Hebrew. Interesting, isn't it? And then we have, I have another friend, his name is Joel, and the word Joel means, Joel is a biblical name, and Joel means Yahweh is God. Hmm. And then what about, I thought Shiloh was going to be here tonight, so I kind of checked on that. So, so Shiloh, and by the way, Shiloh can be either a masculine or a feminine name, both in biblical times and, uh, and today. Okay? And, uh, and Shiloh is, is really interesting biblically because in ancient Hebrew, Shiloh was actually a place. Right, it was a battle. It was a, it was a physical location, Shiloh was. But the word, when given as a name in Hebrew, means tranquil. Mm-hmm. So we have some some names that can actually be pretty common. We all know a Shiloh. Mm-hmm. And now you can, when Shiloh comes back with the girls tonight, you can say, hi, Tranquil. <laughs> <laughs> That's what her name means. I don't know if she knows that or not. Mine's Susan, Susan is really Shoshana. Yes, Shoshana. Which means Lily. Which means Lily. Interesting. Okay, so you know what your name means. Mm-hmm. Names are important mm-hmm. because there is a meaning behind it. And I want you to be driven now to understand when we start looking at these ten names of Satan what it means because it is his character. She is not a lily. (laughs) And Shiloh may or may not be tranquil. (laughs) But I'm telling you that biblically we need to focus on these ten names because I want you to know who Satan is by his character and his tactics. How he goes about wanting to devour devour you is spelled out clearly in his names. So let's start with... Is that first Thessalonians who dropped off the... 
I was struggling with my computer today. As I made this. It's First Thessalonians 2:18. Okay. Is that what it says? Well, you had it. You were, you were, you had a 50-50 shot at it, right? It does say that. Huh. First Thessalonians 2:18. Before we read that, what does the word, the name? Satan mean? Some of you should know this already. In English, what's the English translation? What's the word, the, the one word definition of the name Satan? Deceiver. Deceiver? No, no. I mentioned it last week. Yeah, but that was last that week. That was last week, I know. <laughs> and for Ernie, that was a really long time ago. <laughs> the word Satan, think about Satan's goal is to devour us. Adversary. The word Satan, translated into English from the Hebrew, means adversary. What is an adversary? Okay, one who accuses you. Okay? One who accuses you, but we're going to see that. Adversary? It can be a military term, but that by definition, adversary means one who is opposed. You have opposition. I want you to think every time you hear the name of the evil one, that is Satan, I want you to think about an adversary, one that is constantly opposed and resisting you and is your enemy in everything you say, you think, and you do. As a Christian, an adversary is one that is constantly plotting against you. That's his name. When you say Satan, it's not just a name. It has a meaning behind it. An adversary that is opposing you. And not only you, but what is Satan also opposed to? He's competing with God. Okay, he competes with God. So does that mean he is opposed to God? Okay, to, to God individually? How does that work? Explore that a little bit. He's opposed to the entire God is good. Okay, so what does Satan oppose about God? What is, okay, his goodness, what else? What? God's authority, good, what else? Leader. His what? His leader. His what? Leader. Leader. His God's leadership? Is that what you're trying to refer to? Okay, that's good. I buy that. What else? His kingdom? His love. His love? He would want us to worship him instead of God. Who's heard this one before? Mike? Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. You heard that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, that always makes me crazy when I hear that one because I'm not good at that. (laughs) I start a little more subtly than that, personally. But Satan is in direct opposition because it's true, by the way. Jesus does love you and, and, and he does indeed have a plan for your life. And Satan is the adversary 
opposing every one of God's plans. He is in opposition to everything God is because he wants to be God, right? Wow. So think about that in terms of his character. What is your purpose? What is Satan's purpose? It was to glorify. What is Satan's purpose in your life? To what? To dishonor God, to discredit God, to 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 steal out of your life everything that you want to do to glorify God. That's powerful. Now, he has power to do that. And we're going to see how much power he has and how much he doesn't have. Because in order for him to do that, what needs to take place in your life? In order for the devil to steal from you what God has created you to do, what must happen? You have to allow it. You have to relinquish that control. That's right. You have to allow it. You see, because God's already given you everything you need for life and godliness, number one. And number two, he has given you the full armor that we are going to delve into deeply because we have to understand how that works. Okay? First Thessalonians 2.18 says what? For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. But Satan stopped us. Satan blocked our way. Satan, and and what I'd like you to do is think about Satan as the adversary. When you see the term biblically Satan, think about opposer or adversary. Okay? Because we say Satan, and it makes us think about a person. That's his name. Bob. It's not Bob. His name is Satan, which means adversary and opposer. He is adversarial to everything that is happening in this building at this moment. Mm -hmm. And is anxious through the use of all of his fallen angels that we call demons to try to get you even in this place. He is the adversary. Think about it in those terms. What do we know about Satan from Job? We know the story of Job. He was allowed to tempt him. He what? He was allowed to tempt him. Satan was allowed by, by God, yes, to have his way. All the way? No. 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 God put limitations on Satan because in his sovereignty when God gave Job over to Satan God already knew the outcome did Satan? (laughs) power differential that's why there's no fear there's a huge power differential If Satan is behind spiritual battles in your life, Satan isn't powerful enough, is not powerful enough to know God's intended outcome. He doesn't know everything, but he knows a lot because of the power that God has given him. 
So we see in Job 1, 6 through 7, we see that that Job was um, tempted and tormented and persecuted and Satan had his way with him. And we know the story. We know it. We know that everything that happened in Job's life was caused by the adversary, the opposer. Because God gave him the authority to do it. Because God knew that he would be glorified through Job's life. It's a crazy story though, isn't it? He lost everything. There was death. There was death. And God allowed it. Well, it almost makes you wonder what, I mean, it's like, since God's talking to Satan, and he's like, where's it in? He's like, oh, I've been going back and forth to the earth, da, 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 da. <laughs> and he brings it up about Job, so it's like, is he keeping him occupied with Job for some reason? <laughs> 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 and that's an interesting, it's an interesting yeah. thought, and it's speculative, of course, because right. we don't know the answer, and I, I'm very fond of saying, boy, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but and, and, and thank God I'm not God, right? Mm-hmm. But, the, but the point is, I don't know God's purposes in some of these things other than what he tells us. And we know that the purpose for this ultimately was that God would be glorified through Job's life and how he dealt with all of the opposition. Because not only did Satan oppose him, everybody else did too. <laughs> Curse God and die, his wife says. What? And so when, when God even talks to um, Satan and says, as you mentioned, Susan, you know, hey, so, uh, you know, where have you been? Where did you, you come from? I've always wondered about that because God knew but he wanted to hear from Satan. And so, and for our benefit, we're told, I've been out roaming the world. A character of Satan. What does Satan do today? He roams around. But he hasn't changed. What he does has not changed. He doesn't do any more of it or any less of it. He does the same of it. And he's anxious because, you see, he knows the outcome that we'll see as part of one of his names. We'll see that. So we see also that he's called the devil. And we, we're really familiar with that. No. When you hear the word devil, when I say, man, the devil made me do it. Or if you see a picture of, in your mind of the devil, what, what immediately comes up? Pitchfork. Pitchfork. <laughs> what else? What do you think? What, what, what's the picture that comes into your mind when I say devil? Fire. Fire, pitchforks. What else? Anything else? <laughs> the, little, the tail, the red face, the whole nine yards. Yeah, right? Where did that come from? <laughs> Dante's Inferno. Because it's certainly not biblical, is it? What does the word devil mean? By definition, translated from the Hebrew, the word devil means slanderer. Slanderer. What does a slanderer do? Misspeaks, tells lies. If you've been slandered, oh, this is a common one, Facebookers. 
this is a common one in the Facebook world, okay? In the public, in, 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 the, in, the, in the public arena, this is becoming more and more and more popular all the time because it's so easy to do, okay? Mm -hmm. I've watched presidential candidates do it. What happens if you've been slandered? What has happened to you? Your reputation. Your reputation is what? Questioned. It's been questioned. What else? If you've been slandered, what else has happened? Somebody is assassinating your character. Okay. Yes, there's false charges. There's misrepresentations. There are there's defamation. Um, uh, it, your reputation is is in the tank. False witness, gossip. Yep. It happens in the church. Amen? It can happen in the church. It does happen in the church. It does happen. Amen, sister. It does happen in the church. What does the word devil mean? Slander. Slander. I want you to think now, from this point forward, forget the little red man with the pitchfork. <laughs> just, just wipe that out of your mind. He does not sit on this shoulder asking you to do bad things, and the Holy Spirit's on this one asking you to do the good things, okay? Totally not biblical. What's biblical is the devil is a name given to Lucifer, the fallen cherub, the highest of all angels, the most beautiful of all, given the most authority ever by any created being of God. And he fell, and the word devil means slanderer. And I want you to understand that in the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in, Every day in this world, not the world to come, but in this world, you have an adversary that wants to slander you. If you have been slandered, the root cause of the slander is spiritual warfare that comes from the evil one, no matter who did it. If it happened in the church or out of the church, the devil is the chief slanderer and wants to gossip about you, promote false witness about you. What's one of the commandments that has to do with false witness? Yeah, thou shalt not do it. I do. Something like that. It's on the stone. You can read it. First Peter five eight says what? Anybody turn there yet? Be self-controlled self and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to first uh, stand like someone in the face because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Yeah, so basically what we're seeing here is that the devil, be alert and sober-minded. I like that, because I like sobriety. That's a good thing. And so be alert, uh, be alert, be alert and of sober mind, because your enemy, the adversary, the slanderer, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. That's his purpose. Today, as you sit here and as I sit here, I've also included in the slander 
category here, Proverbs 6, that talks about things that the Lord hates. Now, the reason I included this particular scripture is because it's always interesting to me that the, it says, in fact, I'll just read it if you don't mind. Proverbs 6, says 16, says this, There are six things that the Lord hates. I always stop there for just a moment because we're talking about the devil. We're talking about Satan. We're talking about the adversary. We're talking about the slanderer. And then we're talking in the same breath about the Lord God Almighty. And then the word hate is used. Okay? So be sober-minded and well-balanced in our thinking when it says the Lord hates. Because that's a powerful statement. Mm -hmm. But there are seven that are an abomination to him. Now I want you to think about these characteristics in the context of your adversary. Listen to the words. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I like the last one because he's talking about the church. You see, these are characteristics of the slanderer and your adversary. Has anybody had any experience with any of those things? People with lying tongues that affected you directly. People that devised wicked plans that affected you personally. People that when there was a choice between good and evil ran straight for the evil and it affected you personally. A false witness that slandered you personally or someone that was doing the opposite of what was preached here from this pulpit last Sunday. Anybody remember the sermon? It was preached from this pulpit last Sunday about being, what? Encouragers. To do what? What were we supposed to do? Spurring one another on to love and good deeds. This is just the opposite. A characteristic of the enemy himself. Lucifer. The original name of the evil one. We talked about that when we first got here because these two ladies did some research this week on it. Woohoo! <laughs> what does the word Lucifer mean? Son of the morning, the morning star, the bringer of dawn, or the shining one. Wow, those are all positive things, aren't they? But that's what the word Lucifer means in the original language. Because that's how he was, that was what he was created by God to be. The son of the morning, the bringer of dawn, the shining one. Lucifer was created, the when God said things were really good, I can imagine.
imagine how he must have been thinking about Satan. He created Satan for very special purposes. The crazy thing is, you see, he, he did the same with you and me. And me. Isn't that interesting? But in the angelic spiritual world, Satan, who was originally Lucifer, was all of these positive things. Isaiah 14, 12 then says what? Anybody turn there yet? How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Interesting. We see that Lucifer is actually a beautiful name because of what it means. The original name given to the evil one. And his other names came later. Isn't that interesting? Son of the morning. He fell. Because he wanted to be God. Because of his pride. And his names that are ascribed to him are very meaningful. Beelzebub. Anyone want to take a stab at that? The Prince of Demons, okay. There is a literal interpretation of the name for Satan, Beelzebub. And it's in Scripture. Nobody's ready to take a crack at that, huh? It's a challenging one. Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies. And this is really fascinating because if you will turn to Matthew, if you're, are you there, Scotty? Is that where you got it? Matthew 12, 24. Let's, let's read that from an adversarial point of view. Let's read Matthew 12, 24. Somebody. Okay. Jesus is just healed the possessed man. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. The prince of demons, or in some translations it says the ruler of demons, and literally the word Beelzebub or Beelzebul, <laughs> either one. Okay, either one. It's the same name. And they both, it, that was a pagan idol. Beelzebub or Beelzebul, same name in scripture, uh, was a was a pagan idol that was. It was really interesting. It supposedly this idol, this pagan idol, supposedly protected people from swarms of flies. Now remember, we're talking about a long time ago. It's not as though they had air conditioned buildings to sit in with with screen doors even to keep the bugs out. Right? These people lived out in. Uh, uh, what we would call nature and, and they were affected by all of these environmental conditions including hordes of flies because the dump was usually right outside the city wall and so flies were very prevalent and so there was this this Beelzebub that was a name given to a pagan idol that was supposedly the protector of people from these 
these flies. Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies, and they, the flies were generally very filthy, just like today. Hasn't changed much. The Lord of Dung. The Lord of Dung. It's the same meaning. And why? Why does that? Commentary or whatever you're looking at, call it the Lord of Dung. He calls it the well, because the Jews changed the name Beelzebul, right? As used in the Greek New Testament, meaning the Lord of Dung was name reference, the god of the fly that was worshipped to obtain deliverance from the injuries of that insect, right? Also known as the god of filth. That's right. And the Jews understood this pagan, uh, this pagan idol, to be the Lord of Dung or the Lord of Filth. Because of what flies represent. Okay. I didn't hear what you said. The Lord of what? The the Lord of dung. Dung. Okay. Yeah. I did not understand that word. Okay. Filth. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, how apt is that as a description of your adversary, by the way? And so, if we talk about this in terms of what the name means, now having just said that, what does the name Beelzebub mean? Just put it into your vernacular right now. What does it mean? Filth. Disgusting. Disgusting. Prince of the demons. The prince of the demons. See, I want you to think about this name given to the evil one. Prince of the demons. Filthy dumb. Maggot. Maggot. That's a good term. Okay, now think about that. You maggot. Think about that for a moment because there's a lot to be said for a name. And then... The fifth one is. Well, looks, I, I just was reading uh, because you talk about names. The Pharisees called Jesus this fellow. Uh-huh. So they, you know, there's a lot in a name. Respect that they had for Jesus. That's right. And so, have you ever been called a name that wasn't your given name? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, all the time. Not And why does that happen? Why does somebody call you a name? Because they're trying to hurt you. Generally speaking, it's not part, part because they have a small vocabulary, and generally speaking, it's not a positive thing. Okay. And so what happens is, is that you see these are names that are given to our adversary that have tremendous meaning behind them because of how he operates. Remember I said when we first started this, think about how Satan operates and the spiritual battles that you've been engaged with or in in your life or even today and think about it in terms of his names because it matters because this is all set up for what we have to do next but we have to understand his names and their meaning and his tactics that go along with it. Belial. Bail, you can call it Bail, you can call it Belial, you can call it, I've heard it pronounced (laughs) at least four different ways. And that word, that name given to Satan simply means false god. You can make that note if you would like to. False god. God. Just a false God. Just a false God, of which there are many. Amen? It simply means false God. Second Corinthians 6.15 says, What harmony, I love this scripture, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? But we're not finished yet. Because then it says, 
Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Uh oh. <laughs> That's challenging because what's the connotation? Belial means simply the name of a false god. Satan, the evil one, the adversary. A false god. And then Paul says, what harmony is there between Jesus and this false god that we're talking about here? The same as what harmony is there between a believer and an unbeliever? Now that's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a very sobering thought because the context here is that there is no harmony between these four entities, Christ and the false God and the believer and the unbeliever. How can scripture how can scripture claim that? How can there not be harmony between a believer and an unbeliever? How is that possible? In what context? What are your thoughts? One's light and one's dark. The light and the dark. They don't mix. That whole contrast in 1 John that talks about these contrasts, light and darkness, believer and unbeliever. But I, I know people that are unbelievers. I have some really good friends that I really enjoy that are unbelievers. And yet, there's no harmony between Christ and Belial. There is no harmony between a believer and an unbeliever. How can that be? What's the context? What are we studying? Spiritual warfare. There is no harmony because you, my brothers and sisters, are in the Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit. And there is no harmony with an unbeliever. You can love them and you are compelled to and called to love them. But in the spiritual realm, there is no harmony. There's None. No There's no... No, you're right. They can't be your best friend. They, they aren't... They're not related. They are not children of God. This is hard teaching, but it's true. I want you to think about that in the context of who Satan is. There is no harmony in the spiritual realms in the world that you live in as you sit here and walk out those doors tonight between you in the spirit and the devil called by any name. No harmony. It is the opposite. It is a contrast. Belial in scripture means worthlessness. We first see it in Deuteronomy 13, 13. You don't have to turn there. And we see it then in, in this um, uh, New Testament scripture, for, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 15. Um, we see it in other places in scripture where it is translated into English. It's the, it's the same Old Testament Hebrew word, but it's translated wicked. So it means both a false god or wickedness. And the sun expression in Scripture, which you see I have references there in Judges and in 1 Samuel, 
translation of the son or man of the wild means simply a worthless, lawless person. Now be very careful with this because I'm going to say something that, that might alarm you. And you don't have to believe this, by the way. But, in context, I believe that simply a simple, worthless, lawless person is the unbeliever that Satan has blinded. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They are wicked. And And so are we. Mm. By nature. Mm. nature. Separated from God originally. You see, we were them. And so, I want you to see the power though. I want you to see the power behind that name of, of the evil one. Because the context biblically then takes it to anyone that is not filled with the Spirit. Hard teaching. True. But hard. Because we don't like to think of those that we love that are not believers and are not Spirit-filled in that way. And yet, that's exactly the way our adversary sees them. And he knows that he has them there. He has blinded them. So that they cannot see that you, as a spirit-filled person, being here tonight, doing this, is foolishness to somebody that is not spirit-filled. It is absolute foolishness, and they don't get it. And the reason they don't is because the evil one, your adversary, and theirs, has blinded them. Because they do not have the spirit. Powerful. Anything Satan can do to divert your worship of God to anything or anyone else is what he's about. And that's what that name implies. Number six, the evil one. That's really straightforward, isn't it? Who doesn't know what the evil one means? What does the evil one mean in the original language? Uh, the evil one. The evil one. <laughs> it pretty much means the evil one. <laughs> it, it doesn't need much of a definition, doesn't it? No. The evil one is the evil one. First John 5.19. We looked at this the other day. Anybody there? Or did I go too fast for you? We know that we are children of, under the control of the evil one. Wait. Back up. Yeah, no, you're there, but you didn't read the whole. You skipped oh. part of it. So go ahead and do we it again, Sally. We know that we are children of God. There you go. We know we that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the. We know that we are children of God, and of course, in context here in this letter of First John, John is writing to the church, right? The church, the broad church, mm-hmm. and he's talking about contrast. That's that whole letter is talking about contrast. And he says, "Hey, wait a minute, church. We know that we're children of God." Because it is written, God told us that we are children of God. But, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Does spiritual warfare make more sense when you understand that
that the world you live in is controlled, all of it, by the evil one. Satan, Lucifer, the lie, Beelzebub, your adversary, the slanderer, is in control of the whole world. Reminds me of Job. Isn't God in control of the whole world, even him? Yes, but God has given the world system of things over to Satan for a time. By God's nature, he is even in control of that. I don't have to understand that to be able to accept it. I accept the fact that God gave the world to Satan in its fallenness, and Satan has been given his way with the world. That's why you and I struggle with the things of the world because Satan is in control. The evil one, according to 1 John. The, the Greek translation in the New Testament for the evil one is absolute corruption. Now think about that in terms of, the, this is the world we live in. There's nothing to be afraid of. We're not to fear it. We're just to understand when you read the newspaper tomorrow morning and see what happens today, you can understand that the evil one, absolutely corrupt, is in charge. Yeah. Everything's evil in the paper. In the, that's right. In the news. And we know why. Yeah. We know why. And so what we see, absolute corruption is just, it can be translated the same way as the evil one. Absolute corruption is translated absolutely corrupt. <coughs> There's just no two ways about it. And so, and, and so we just know that the evil one has corrupted the world. The newspaper makes so much sense. Dallas last week mm -hmm. makes so much sense mm -hmm. horrific as these things are school shootings people screaming at one another over every kind of political opposition you can imagine mm -hmm. your name being drugged through the mud by somebody that you thought was your friend mm -hmm. you name it all through the names of Satan mm -hmm. the tempter Anyone care to comment on the name of the evil one or Satan as the tempter? Would anybody like to just speak about their day today? <laughs> uh, because what is temptation? Satan is the tempter. What does that mean? What does the tempter mean by definition? Excuse me? One who tempts. But what does tempt mean? Oh. Say it, Cindy. Say it. You want him. It's coming out. I hear it. To deceive. To, de to entice us to do something that is contrary to God's law. To God's grace. To God's glory. To entice us. Usually for our pleasure. Oh or even gained by a world 
view. Pleasure or gain. Seduce, provoke, entice, persuade. 1 Thessalonians 3 5. Calls him the tempter. Anybody there? For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Yeah, the tempter. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, he says that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control, I hope. <laughs> and then in Luke, of course, we know the story in Luke about, about Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Guess what he was doing? He was led around by the tempter, and Jesus was tempted in every conceivable way that you and I have ever been tempted. Exactly the same thing. There is no difference. Fully man, fully God, tempted fully by Satan, and he overcame. <coughs> because he was sober-minded and had self-control, amongst other things. But he was full of the Spirit. Who else is full of the Spirit? Yeah. Amen! <laughs> Praise God! Our first line of defense. We're filled with the Spirit. Can't touch me. They can tempt me, but I have to succumb, right? That's what you said, then. In order for Satan to do his work on me, I have to be a willing participant. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not, done. It's over. He does not have the keys. He doesn't. But he will distort even the good things of God to get at us. The prince of the world we saw the scripture reference earlier. See, and here's the, here's the story about, about Satan being in charge of the world. He is the prince of this world because he's the master of every false religion that exists or ever has. He's behind all of it. <clears throat> Satan is behind all of it. He's behind every school of thought that is not consistent with this. Every single one, Satan is behind. Mm -hmm. Every single one. He is all about corrupting us culturally. He is all about corrupting us morally. He is all about, I think about, I think about guys like Noah who's going to school and he graduated from Tilhaz going to Norop. And Norop is going to teach you a bunch of stuff that is absolutely contrary to the truth. But you're, you're going to go through the system and, and you are filled with the Spirit so that you are going to be able to get some help to discern what is truth and what is not true. And the stuff that isn't truth, guess where it came from? The evil one in the spiritual realms. It's a battle. And you will be exposed to that for the next four years, my friend. Nothing to be afraid of. Not yet. The rest of your life. That's just a good start. But there's nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing to fear because you have the spirit and you have the truth. 
And so what we see that scripture tells us about the world is that we're either children of God or we're not. And the world is in control of the evil one. We know that the prince of this world has been driven out. We know that's John 12, 31. And we know in John 16, 11 that about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, we fight from victory. We're not fighting any battles for victory. We've already won because the evil one that is in control of this world has already been condemned by God and you see he knows it. That's why he's pissed. (laughs) He knows it. Anybody ever run across the name in Revelation 9-1? Abaddon? Mm-hmm. Or Apollon. Or Apollon, depending on if it's a Hebrew or the Greek. What does that mean? Yeah, the word literally means the name of Satan in the book of Revelation, described as Abaddon, means complete ruin or destruction. Why do you suppose in the book of Revelation his name means complete ruin and destruction? Because we now see we now see one of the names of Satan has his final pardon me? Trademark. I have a trademark. It has his final destination That's in what I was going to say, his final destination. He is ruined and destroyed because he has already been condemned. And we see that in the New Testament, we see that in Revelation 9-11, but we also see it in the Old Testament, and I've, I think I gave you those references, Job 26 28-22, uh, 31-12, Psalm 88-11, Proverbs 15-11, those are just a few places where we see that word occurring. And in Psalm 88-11, for example, this, this word that is that is defined as destruction. That's his name. His name is Destruction. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not only trying to destroy, but he has been destroyed already. It's done. It's just not finished. Mm-hmm. But in Psalm 88, destruction is parallel to the grave. The word the grave. Get the picture? Mm-hmm. Satan has been destroyed. He's in the grave. Ultimately, that is his place. Can't touch you. There's no reason to fear. In Proverbs and Job, it's parallel to hell or Sheol. Remember we studied that? And in Job 28.22, this word is parallel to death. You see, he's been defeated. Even to death. Because we live in the world, but where's our home? Heaven.
if we obediently follow the word of God to be in the spirit and to put on the full armor of God so that he can't touch us because all he can do to us is what we allow in the flesh. Wow, now we're sitting here going, dude, am I in the flesh or am I in the spirit? And what does that mean? We would struggle to answer that question. Except for in the next couple of weeks, we won't. Because Ephesians is going to tell us. We're going to answer the exact question that Mike posed at the beginning of the night. The exact question. Definitively. Even with eight. I'm a pilot. Well, at least I used to be. Um, I like checklists. We have a biblical checklist on how to do this. And the last one, of course, and then we'll leave, is the accuser of the brethren. And we know from Revelation 12.10 that what is Satan's... Where is Satan right now and what is he doing? Standing before the throne of God, wandering around the earth, accusing you. We've got to make it personal because it's personal. You know what he did today. That's right. You realize that Satan cannot read your mind and doesn't know what you're thinking. He is not sovereign, but he stands in front of God as though he can. And he is accusing you of all kinds of things falsely that you've never considered. Because Satan, even though God knows, you see, Satan doesn't. And we have to understand the difference between the power that Satan has and the power that he doesn't have. And he has the power to accuse us. And, and he is full of accusations against us before the Father. But I can't imagine what, because I only understand time, I can't imagine what God must be thinking. Like, oh boy, Huh? You've been around those people that you know are just nuts and you're going, I, 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 I'll put up with this for a time because I don't have any choice. I'm gonna, you know, that's the plan. I, you know, like I work with them, so what am I going to do? Um, and so there's, there's Satan and he operates that way. And so the names of Satan reveal a lot about his character and we've just scratched the surface but I want you to think about it in terms of the issues that you're dealing with in your life, okay? The stuff that makes you nuts has a basis and the basis is in the names of Satan because he's behind it. Except for the things that you must take personal responsibility for because y'all did it. And Satan did not make you do it. The devil did not make you do it. The stuff we did ourselves, we take personal responsibility for. The other stuff all is rooted in the evil one. And his names explain how he operates. And we have to understand that because if we don't, our pendulum is too far to the right. We don't give enough credence to the spiritual war that is going on. It is not a playground outside those doors. It is a war zone. And the issues that you're having in your life and the things you're going to struggle with, for the most part, you now know where it comes from. And you must understand it so that you can be equipped to deal with it. Because frankly, when you are, that's where the joy comes from. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's, it is knowledge that leads to the power that he has already given us to deal with it. Hallelujah. Can't touch this, man. There's that song, right? Can't touch this. I don't know. How's that song go? 
And that's it. And so I think that you got to just see more clearly now that the things of the devil are rooted in evil because he has been given the control. And we need to understand what that means in our life today and going forward. Because the past doesn't matter. It's done. Don't live there. But you will be dealing with things tomorrow. And they are evil and they are rooted in evil and they are rooted from the evil one who is in control of the world. Next week we're going to see what the power is that God has given to uh, Satan as he attacks the church, as he attacks you personally. I want you to think and pray this week over people that you know that are being spiritually attacked or if you are, I want you to pray that God might even soften your heart enough to share maybe uh, a testimony about about a spiritual battle that, you've, that perhaps you've gone through um, and and even if it's something that you had to take personal responsibility for, we're a family here, we can, we can have those kinds of discussions, can't we? Uh, because it's really important in this spiritual warfare as we end up next week with understanding what that limited power is and what the personal application is in your life before we go into answering Mike's question because that's the crux of the whole study is understanding Ephesians 6, 10 and beyond the, 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 the full armor of God and what it is, how to put it on, how to keep it on how to be in the Spirit, what it means to pray, to pray in the Spirit, and what it means to walk in the Spirit so that your flesh is not attacked by the evil one. Amen? That's what this study is really about. So the next couple of weeks become pretty important because we're going to solidify all that. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Yeah, it expects a battle. Because yep. the evil one ain't happy that y'all's here. That's right. <laughs> this ain't happy. So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for how you have already won the war and how you have given us the truth to equip us for the battles and how you have even provided everything we need for life and godliness. And God, that is amazing. And even the stuff that we don't understand, Lord, we believe and we accept it based on your sovereignty. And so I pray now as we walk out of here that as this place is even protected from the evil one, as we have prayed over this place, Lord, so that the enemy's minions would not have their way with us. I pray that going forward that everybody in this room, God, would be protected by your holy angels that you send to surround us. And that you would continue to show us, to teach us, and to give us discernment in those areas where there is a battle. So that, God, we're equipped to learn completely and totally how to be in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit, to put on the full armor of God so that there is no chance for fear to enter in and no chance that the enemy can fly his trade on us. We claim the victory as we sit here tonight and walk out the doors. We just claim it because it is written. And we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, be glorified in the rest of our life today. Mm -hmm. And your will be done even tomorrow. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.